RCR with Chantal Baker, Reality Check Radio. There's a conversation that needs to happen in New Zealand for women and by women. I'm talking about what happened in Auckland at Albert Park on Saturday. But first, before we start this very deep and insightful conversation, I want you to listen to the following clip. And I want you to think about what this was like sitting there in that moment for Kelly J. Keane. So we're on our way to uh, Wellington, now Auckland. Um, but even in news reports, they're continuing to say the most despicable things that are really, really dangerous. If I was in New Zealand, I'd be hard pushed to believe anything I read in any paper or anything I saw on any news station or a damn thing any politician said. And I think that sort of goes for Australia as well. There's except Sky News in Australia were great and the Australian. But there's something there's something really weird when you talk to a journalist who can't tell you what a f***ing woman is. So excuse my language. Um, it's difficult not to swear in such situations. I don't I just don't know what to say at this point. I mean how do you fight something completely irrational? How do you fight something where a huge amount of a population, like these young people, want to rip out fundamental foundations of society, which is truth and biological truth. sex? It's really nuts. Like, you can have two sides of something and you can dismantle arguments, but when, when the argument is you telling the truth and other people saying the most crazy, unfathomable, weird stuff, I mean, how do you counter it? So the purpose of Let Women Speak today is gonna very much be about showing what, what happens when women speak. What happened on Saturday has now become an international story. It's a story about the woke agenda. It's a story about women's rights. And even more than that, it's a story about media and politicians manipulating the public. What we're going to talk about today is how it happened, who were the provocateurs, who laid the seeds for one of New Zealand's most shameful days. Where did it come from? Was this from the community? Is this what people really wanted to happen? For a woman to come from the other side of the world and stand in a park and then to be shouted down by an angry mob, is this actually New Zealand? Or was this seeded by our media to further the woke agenda or our politicians to distract us from something far bigger? This was one of New Zealand's most shameful days. It was a day when free speech was put under the cudgel and smashed. So how did this happen? My producer Alistair and I have been reading, watching and investigating this week and the show today will be focused around this. What, what made this begin? What made it grow? And what made it end? 
Alistair, thank you so much for joining me once again for this next very important episode of The Chantal Show here on Reality Check Radio. I think we should begin looking at the politicians in New Zealand and how they framed the conversation around Kelly's arrival prior to her getting here. I know you've done a bit of research this week on this and been looking at people's social media feeds. So would you start off by talking about the conversation between these different MPs and what they were wanting to present to the New Zealand public? Absolutely, Chantelle. It's been almost, it's been quite frightening to go through all of this this week, hasn't it? I mean, this time last week, this time last week, I'd never heard mm. of Kelly J. Me neither. She was a blip in the wind. And then you listen to that clip that you just played there and you can hear the sadness in her voice. It's, it's a frightening time to be in New Zealand. And, and at, by the end of Saturday, that's exactly how I felt. I felt frightened for our country. And when you go back and you look at how this all built up to that day, as you say, you know, leading, leading me into this is, um, you know, what was it that happened in the lead up to it? And you can see very clearly that there was deliberate action in building that, that event up to what it became. Um, you start by going back over what the politicians were saying and you can see very clearly the Green Party on the 22nd of March putting out tweets, um, starting the process, talking about how the Green Party stands with trans and non-binary whanau and supporting freedom for everyone to live their lives without fear of, or, of hate or discrimination. On the same day, we saw Kerry Allen, the Labour MP, getting up onto Facebook and talking about how the idea was to show up and drown out any bigotry that seeks to divide and hurt Alfano. I find that really interesting, using the word bigot, as you've pointed out to me. Um, it's a very strange use of the word when that's actually what they're trying to do, isn't it? It's completely hypocritical. That's what it actually is, because they're trying to say that this every single woman that turned up to hear Kelly Jane speak, Kelly J. King speak, they're trying to say that all of those women are exactly the same, they think the same, and they're these terrible, disgusting voices that do not deserve to be heard. Now, they don't know these individual people. They've never heard them speak. And how Kelly goes about her Speak Up For Women rallies is she does a very short intro, and then she actually hands the mic over to women that are in that area to give them the chance to have their voice and, and let their voice be heard. So all it is is her passing the mic to complete strangers that she's never met in her life and giving women, biological women, back a voice in a space that she wants to be safe for them to have their say and to still feel heard and not to feel rejected by the media or an outcast of society for thinking possibly different to everyone else. By calling that group of women, by saying that it's bigotry, Kerry Allen is actually acting as a bigot because she's classifying a whole diverse range of people as exactly the same and they should be excluded from society based off her warped perspective. And I can nearly guarantee that Kerry Allen has never listened to a full speech by Kelly J. Keane and has never gone and actually done her research and listened to what some of the other women say at these rallies because she would not have made that statement if she really knew anything about Kelly J. Keane. Yeah, and, and you can see it very clearly that it was incited. There was not just those politicians who were doing that, but it was backed up by the media. You know, I'm looking uh, right now at my notes about from the 22nd of March, a journalist named Jamie Ensor, who to me is just nothing more than a propagandist for News Hub. Um, he's writing a story labelling 
Kelly J as an anti-transgender activist. He doesn't provide any proof. He links her to the neo-Nazis in Melbourne, even though uh, there's no proof that the neo-Nazis turned up on her invitation or anything to do with her. Um, I do remember seeing a video of them shaking hands with the police. Um, that I do remember. So maybe are they connected with the Melbourne police? Um, it seems more likely to me. Jamie Ensor also talks about, he brings up a whole lot of New Zealand MPs. So it's become a very political story right from the start. And that was in the space of a day, wasn't it? It was within a day of each other. You had these MPs come out making their big statements and then you had a News Hub article come out making a statement against Kelly and putting forward false narratives. She's not anti-trans. She's not saying trans people shouldn't exist. She's saying, are we as biological women allowed to question biological men in women's spaces and what does that look like and how can we come and have a healthy debate and find real solutions that will actually work for the community but of course that's not what they say and the way that they're presenting it in the media is that they're presenting it as in that everybody is unanimous in their condemnation of her so they were presenting it to the New Zealand public as you have no other choice but to agree with us on this uh, politicians media, everybody. They also then, of course, brought in um, Chanel Lal, the New Zealand Herald columnist, young trans person who who became sort of the, the celebrity leader of the whole thing. And Chanel was very active in, in branding Kelly J a neo-Nazi right from the very beginning. They had, her, had Chanel on The Breakfast Show, and this is what Chanel had to say. I find the argument around freedom of speech a little bit ludicrous because, you know, look at her event. Posey Parker hosted an event in Melbourne that was attended by neo-Nazis. Now, what do neo-Nazis believe? The absolute destruction of Jewish people. If you could go back in time and you ask people who have died to genocides like the Holocaust, what's more important, your life or the Nazis' view to express hatred for you? I'm sure you already know the answer to that question. I think he doesn't know that the Nazis stopped freedom of speech. They didn't want people talking that had different viewpoints. They silenced them and shut them down. That's exactly what the brown shirts used to do. Turn up, create a racket and make sure that nobody could have a different perspective. So when he says that he doesn't understand um, the argument around freedom of speech, well, obviously you don't because you actually haven't studied history. You throw out the word Nazi, but you've got no idea what it means or how they came about being such a powerful group that silenced freedom of speech in any opposition to the disgusting legislation that they were trying to put through and the media was on board with the Nazis. Is this just a case of projection, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, they're saying they're worried. I mean, Chanel went on TV saying he was worried for his safety, yet he was up there smiling, taking photos, and when people were being assaulted, when their lives were actually in danger, when they were being hurt, he laughed. He didn't care. They don't actually care about violence towards people. They care about making sure that no one else gets a voice and can say something that they don't like. That's actually the conversation. And they've done it here in New Zealand for many years. And it's become a major problem. And now that this has blown up in the international media, more and more people are starting to see, hold up, there is a larger agenda at play here that we don't all agree with. And I know many, I've actually got many lesbian and gay friends. And when, they, when I talk with them about this, they're saying there's a big difference between certain radical activists within the trans community and what the vast majority of the LGB community actually believe and agree with. And we see this playing out online in real time. I mean, you've got fully grown men, fully intact men, 
that are making TikTok videos crying about how they're getting their first period and how it feels and pretending and asking you, how do I use tampons? Come on. Bro, you what? don't. You don't use them. <laughs> you have nowhere to put them. But we are playing into this ideology that's gone so far that you've now got grown men trying to find somewhere to put tampons. I mean, it's it's honestly, it's absolutely insane, but we're not even allowed to say that. And then Chanel Lal, his big claim to fame is that he, he helped push through a piece of legislation that he claimed was going to stop gay conversion therapy. That's not what this bill actually is about. There's not been one case of anyone that has actually been convicted of gay conversion therapy, I think it was in 10 years in New Zealand. Someone did an OIA and they couldn't even find one case. So that's not what this was about. What it is, what this legislation that Chanel helped push through does do is it does say that if children want to identify as a certain gender and a parent tries to talk them out of it or get them therapy to try and say, actually, no, Harry, you're not a biological, or you're not a girl, you're actually a boy, then the parent can actually be jailed. So it's a gender conversion therapy that they're actually trying to make sure parents don't have the control over their own children, they don't get to look out for their own children, and they don't get to protect their own children from a dangerous ideology that tells them you need to take chemicals that we give to sex offenders, and you should try and cut up every part of your body because you're not perfect the way you are, and so therefore you should change everything you possibly can to be some alternate version of you that's somehow going to be better. See, I th I look at that and I think that actually this is just a topic that's being used. I, I'm not sure whether they really care about those things at all. I think they're just trying to incite people into getting angry. You know, I, I feel very sad. This is one of the reasons why when you listen to that clip at the top that we played there with Kelly J talking in the back of the taxi and I notice how sad she sounds, I feel the same way because when I look at this, I see the fingerprints of the media inciting this all the way. And they never give a balanced perspective at all. There are odd moments when they do, but it seems to me like it's just done just so that they can point to it and say, yes, we were balanced. And one of those occasions was when um, there's, there's a news story from the 24th of March. So this is the day before the ill-fated day. And... Um, one news talks about how Kim Hill had interviewed Kelly J um, on the radio and she, they'd had a discussion about this. But then what happens as soon as they say that, they then counter it with Michael Wood, our Mr. River of Filth fame fellow, talking about how those views that Kelly J expressed and, and Kim Hill talked about were inflammatory, vile and incorrect. And in the same story, the new TV One News, they put a quote up from um, the UN Secretary General talking about um, how addressing hate speech does not mean limiting or prohibiting freedom of speech. It means keeping hate speech from escalating into something more dangerous, particularly incitement to discrimination, hostility and violence, which is prohibited under international law. And this is where my sadness for the media industry comes in, because all they were doing was promoting the pro prohibition, prohibition of freedom of speech. They were escalating the situation into something more dangerous. They were inviting discrimination against a woman who was a visitor to our country, and they were inciting hostility and violence against that woman. So when you look at that, that is absolutely everything that Antonio Guterres was talking about. This is a violation of international law, and I just look at it and I feel so sad for the media because... Their standards have fallen so low 
to become part of uh, this is a witch hunt it's the salem witch trials all over again uh the brown shirts like you just mentioned storming a, a public meeting who do you think is who do you think is driving this here in new zealand though who do you think is driving this hate and this division because it seems like it's coming at all sides. You've got all these politicians jump up and they seem to say the same thing. The media jumps on board and they say the same thing. And the minute someone sees something slightly different, they're sent to re-education training here in New Zealand. That's exactly what the Nazis did as well. Yeah. So I feel like you've got this group of, they're not real, they're not Nazis in terms of, they're not race-based Nazis, but it's almost like they're thought-based Nazis, where if you think something different, we're going to annihilate you and we're going to do it in the most forceful and hateful way humanly possible and public as well as publicly yeah as they possibly can humiliation isn't it yeah so you know i just feel so sad for the new zealand media that they've slipped to such standards you know when i worked in newsrooms in new zealand and newspapers they were the temples of free speech and these days it just seems like it's the temple of groupthink. i don't know how they've sunk to these levels where they just insult people openly there's no opportunity to try and show a balanced point of view. And so what that led to, I think a lot of us have seen the videos, but you've spoken this week to Olivia Pearson, who gave you a really good rundown of what it was like to actually be there, haven't you? Yeah, so Olivia Pearson is a blogger and a writer here in New Zealand, and she's very passionate about freedom of speech. She's been writing about it for a number of years, and I follow her blog posts. I like taking on board her perspective, as I do many other people around New Zealand and internationally as well. So without further ado, welcome, Olivia, to Reality Check Radio. This is The Chantal Show, and thank you so very much for joining us. What did you think going into that that made you want to turn up that day? Well, uh, no, I mean, it's as I wrote in my blog piece, I'm not really a um, women's group, sisterhood, girl power, feminist um, woman. Um, I went because I heard that morning that um, Kelly J's security detail had quit unbelievably. They, they, they said that they wouldn't, not that they couldn't, but that they wouldn't protect her. Now, I mean, that just got my hackles up straight away because um, what the heck? Uh, can people not, I, I mean, I've seen this before. I know how vicious a mob can be, but not letting people speak in this country is, um, I'm sorry, but it, that's, third world, uncivilized, banana republic bullshit. Um, so what made me go was that friends of mine who are in the freedom movement um, were kind of calling on people to come and just stand and, as they say, hold space um, for uh, the fact that a little blonde woman can come here and speak from the UK. Our mother country, she's a you know, um, the UK is our mother country. We still have a queen. They still have, well, no, we don't. She died. We still have a king, but we're still part of that same monarchy. And yet a visitor from the UK cannot come to New Zealand and speak about women's issues. It's just appalling. So I went along uh, really to um, just stand in solidar solidarity against uh, a ghastly abomination of an idea, which is you must shut up. Yeah. Good on you as well for standing up for her right to speak. And that's the message that we saw a lot online from people that were there to defend Kelly. Even if it was people that didn't agree with her message, they also wanted her to be safe. 
So they were like, I don't necessarily agree with your message, but I want you to be safe enough to give it. And I think that that's the concern with getting the security dropped as well. When you first arrived at the protest, what was the feeling when you first arrived? It was just aggressive. It was the only word I can say is aggressive. And they do that aggression. You can only pick up through aggression through your senses. And the sense that they overwhelmed was the um, auditory, your ability to hear. So from the moment you got to the top of Albert Park, the hideous, cacophonous noise was aggressive, ugly, mindless, and loud. Um, And that's what they call the heckless veto now. Do you think it's standing by someone's right to free speech if you are being that loud and disruptive and not letting them speak? Do you think that that's protecting your right to speech as much as their right to speech? Or how do you assess that? Yeah, I assess that with an, in, in a traditional way, and that's that we have the right to impart information of any kind, um, and that means to speak on any topic, and also part of the freedom of speech is not just to speak, but also you have the right to hear. And they did not allow us the right to hear, and they did that through not allowing someone to speak. Um, so that's an aggression. The heckler's, the heckler's veto, which is really the thug's veto, properly understood, um, that has to go. Um, heckling, heckling with loud noises to the point where the other side all had to wear earplugs. They, I noticed everybody there had earplugs except us. Oh, interesting. So, so they came knowing that everyone was going to do this and wanting to protect the areas. Yeah, they, so, yeah. so it's okay if we remember the protest in Wellington, how they um, did a similar thing. All the police had earplugs whilst we got attacked by sonic weapons. Um, this was a sonic weapon, but it was done with whistles, with... Uh, uh, screeching with drum beats, with loud you, everywhere you walked, there were boom boxes with people uh, blaring out hideous music. I mean, God, I love my classical music, so I'm I'm probably not normal here, but um, I like you know um, beautiful beautiful sounds. I like beauty on the ear, but this was just aggressive. Mm. So that was the impression walking in. I nearly didn't go in because of it, because I know how much that's just so ugly it's so ugly when did things at the protest start to turn violent how long were you there for and what was the moment where the crowd started to change uh the crowd was hyped and aggressive from the beginning um with that overwhelming auditory senses of normal people but they really got aggressive when she ran the gauntlet and got in there to that little funny rotunda which when i look back on it now was just a ridiculous idea because it has a 360 degree um, entry point. Um, you cannot protect somebody in a round space. Mm-hmm. Um, but they got really aggressive when she came in. The, the, the decibel just went up. You can hear it on all the video. Uh, and But when they saw her, and she's such a tiny little frame, but she wasn't well protected, as we know. There were only a couple of people. The big burly man, and God bless him, he was wondrous, but it was dicey getting her in there. But they went wild as soon as they saw her. And and remember, as soon as she got into that um, rotunda, 
immediately, within 10 seconds, she was doused in, in soup. And we didn't know what that was. Yeah. So you just saw red liquid all over her, not knowing if... And for some people, I suppose, they might not have seen them get thrown. All they saw is red and could think it would be blood or something else as well because you just don't know in that moment. At what point, how how early was it before she went on stage that that crowd... Um, because from what, I can, from what I can gather watching all the videos, and forgive me if this is wrong, I'm just going to describe what I can imagine from the videos. It looked like the um, protesters that were against Kelly were kind of behind a line. Then there was a bit of a gap... Um, between fences, then there was Kelly's supporters, and then there was the rotunda. Is that right? Yeah, you've got it. But when you're walking in there with cacophonous uh, aggression and noise, it's really hard to see any kind of layout. Mm. So I wasn't, when I got in there with my friends, um, uh, we just made our way through the masses, and I saw this flimsy little gate <clears throat> with a couple of um, women and a big Samoan guy uh, standing there with uh, colored jackets on, high-vis jackets. And I said, oh, um, what do I do to get through the gate? And he said, well, you need to be here to hear her speak. And I said, oh, I'm definitely here to see her speak. And so are my friends. So they let us through. Yeah. But it was a flimsy little, you saw how quickly it got destroyed. So where were the cops Where were the cops situated? As in how many metres away from the rally would it have been that you saw a police officer? Uh, nowhere. They were completely out of visibility. So whilst I was standing in that crowd and when I went up to the gazebo and looked around from Kelly's angle and everything, there were no cops to be seen. In your blog post, you wrote about being standing next to an actor and seeing him be assaulted. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, well, um, he was he was great. Um, it, I, he was a stranger, but... Um, it turned out that he was Ross Campbell, um, wonderful actor, um, great, great face and presence, but he was just a stranger standing next to me. And um, I got shunted a couple of times by men in masks that were um, going, go home, Posey, go home, go home, Posey, go home, that kind of stuff. And I turned around and looked at them. And one of them pushed forward and stood on my foot. And this guy, Ross, just in a gentlemanly way, said, hey, um, hey, you don't get to come here and push women around and stand on their feet. Apologize. And um, and this guy uh, did actually say, I'm sorry. And I said, that's okay. Um, and he was put in his place. But he was, so Ross was that kind of man. He was gentlemanly. And he was obviously there to make sure that the women around his person were treated well. So, yeah, um, he was just a protective force that was just a decent gentleman in New Zealand guy that showed up. Um, but what happened was that uh, as they sought to run Kelly J out of that hideous mob, um, he went forward to help be a bodyguard around the women and the one big guy that was uh, protecting her, but he got so assaulted. He, he was assaulted by, I think, about seven people in the end, and one of them was a seven-foot, honestly, a giant, uh, a planet of a man dressed as a woman and draped in that Korowai uh, cloak, which I thought he brought shame to because he elbowed with his forearm Ross Campbell straightened the jaw, and I'm telling you, this guy was seven feet tall. 
Wow. And why why did he do it? Because it looked like it looked like the moment he did it, a lady grabbed him in a headlock, or what looked like a woman grabbed him in a yeah. headlock. So how did that how did can you just run me through a bit more detail of how that actually went down? Well, uh, we were just standing there, um, you know, having people blast whistles and foghorns in our faces and ears, and suddenly they tried to get Kelly J out of there, her ad hoc security team, and Ross went forward to try to uh, be one of those people that helped protect her, which I think was a really decent thing to do, and he got... uh, assaulted there's no other way to say that that seven foot that seven foot Samoan drag queen um who was the one I noticed on video now who actually smashed that gate barricade in the first place um she just went forward um and so did a lot of them and grabbed onto Ross hit him jumped on him and then she forearmed him in the flipping jaw and um he was reeling you can see the footage quite well he was reeling um, and then another one jumped on um, him, um, some little hellish creature. Just Honestly, the noises they make were just outrageous. Uh, somebody, somebody else described it as a zombie apocalypse. And I can say, yes, that's, that's how I felt. It was a mindless, no brain, just animal uh, aggression coming at us. And they really went for Ross because he's quite a strong, he's got a real presence, that man. Um, and they really went for him as a a kind of target. Anyway, it doesn't matter because, um, you know, he's tough and he shook them off, but he got to Kelly J's women and Kelly J herself, and he took a lot of punches and spit and kicks um, and projectile, liquid projectiles and made sure that he stuck with that team to help get her at least to the police. And then notice in the video, the police suddenly come in when she's taken to them after them showing no presence um, and they act all protective and get her in the car. And I'm really glad they did that, but it wasn't enough and it was too little too late. Where the hell were our police force while women and men were being violently assaulted by, I'm sorry, uh, creepy, weird people that have no humanity. There's there's a lot of call about a lot of calls about hate speech, isn't there? And about violence in New Zealand and how hate is always wrong. But it seems like that hate is only wrong on one side. It's only wrong if there's hate at all that's been extended towards the LGBT community. But what about the hate that the LGBT community and their supporters are pushing against anybody that does not agree with them? And even to say the LGBT community, I don't think is really even fair on my part, because there are a lot of people that I I know personally that are part of the LGB community that deeply disagree with some of the ideology coming forward out of the trans community. And even members of the trans community that don't agree with some of what they're trying to push in terms of trying to claim the biology of women when they know that that is false. And so it's very, very difficult, isn't it? Because you've got a lot of people that do feel differently and their entire community has been absorbed by these radical like Marxist people with these fundamentally completely flawed ideas and ideology, but they are steamrolling through culture and trying to claim it as their own. Yeah, that's okay. You make that point that it's not lesbian I feel sorry for lesbian and gays that have been caught up um, in this weird, let's face it, weird movement that seems to, it's a highly sexualized 
identity movement. Um, and all the homosexuals and lesbians that I know and who are friends or who are family members are not like these people. They um, wouldn't support, uh, they might support the right to be trans or whatever, whatever. But those people are already supported lawfully and with the Human Rights Act as well and the Bill of Rights. But um, a lot of homosexuals and lesbians want nothing to do with these trans weirdos because there's something wrong with them. There's something not right um, that we are now seeing infecting our culture. And notice that the woman that got punched that I wrote about, who every time I think about it, I want to cry. Um, she, I believe, was a 72-year-old lesbian um, who had gone there to hear Kelly J talk, and she got the shit beaten out of her and her glasses knocked off her face and that massive black iron bruising. I mean, what the heck, you know? Yeah, the the violence that we saw really shocked people and it shocked people because there was this big rhetoric pushed in the media about how violent and aggressive anybody that was coming to support Kelly were, but there was no rhetoric on the other side saying, hey, there could be concern for Kelly's safety if there is a mob of people um, that are biological men who are going to come and try and, and I mean, the, the messages that you see and the messaging that these this group put online, particularly around the word TERFs, um, and for people that don't know at home, TERF is a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. But what they actually mean by that term is any biological woman that doesn't want biological men in their spaces, which would be typically any feminist and most women in general. So they're labelling people TERFs and then they're saying, and, and there's some pretty disgusting um, messaging online about these people, such as um, TERFs should be shot, TERFs should be killed. America has a lot of messaging going out that has these T-shirts with guns on them saying um, these are for TERFs. It's awful, the type of messaging that they're putting out there. And unfortunately, because our media is so incredibly biased, you never, ever see both sides of the story and we've started to see that play out even post what happened that day with Kelly with the messaging coming out from our media trying to back up and and validate the people that actually assaulted other people at that protest so it's really shocking and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me really enjoyed hearing your perspective and we're going to be unpacking this as more as we go on throughout the show so thank you very much for joining me thanks Chantelle and I want to just add one more thing that when that violent mob after she was tomato sourced they came in to crush her they crushed that whole thing and that a crush is a really dangerous thing we know what that feels like from the wellington protest and they they were seeking to impose hideous physical harm on kelly jane Keane and um anybody that supported her and that i mean i'm sorry that's a line nobody Nobody who is a civilized, decent human can be on that side. It's just wrong. I could not agree more. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for the rest of the Chantal Show. This is Reality Check Radio. RCR with Chantal Baker, Reality Check Radio.
press told me yesterday there's no issues, no one's talking about it. But when I talked to the press yesterday, I said, you don't want men in women's spaces. And the guy goes, how many cases of trans women in toilets assaulting women have there been? I just said, well, you wear a seatbelt every day, not because you're gonna have a crash. It's just so, it's really, really insane. And I think because this, this beautiful country is sort of far removed from everyone, and has had some serious authoritarian things happening in the last few years. You know, you can do anything, right? If you can lock people up in their homes and you can force people to pretend that they don't know what a woman is, what, what can you do to that weak a population that's lost all power of thought and autonomy? Like, you can do anything. Is this an anti-trans show? Let's have a discussion about it because I personally don't mind trans people at all. I think it would be very difficult to be a trans person. I think it would be difficult mentally juggling that. I think it would be very difficult physically. I think it would be difficult with friendship groups and with community. And so I don't envy people that are going through that at all. I think it would be a very, very hard decision and hard action for your own life, especially given the current society today. I think it's never been better to be a trans person in terms of the support that you have around you, the groups that you have that you can turn to. But at the same time, it's never going to be something easy to deal with to try and fundamentally change so much about who you are. But I am very against denying people the right to speak. And as Winston Peters said this week, you don't have the right to silence someone, but you do have the right to walk away. And this is a story about a safe environment for speech. It's what the trans community, under all the shouting, noise and violence, that was their message. And although we never got to hear it, it was actually Kelly's message as well. We no longer have a safe environment for speech. There is no middle ground for opinion anymore. And we can see clearly how that environment does breed real world violence. And I think we need to be very careful what we go and we, how, we, how we approach this because just blaming the trans community for any violence is not accurate and it's not fair. It's not truthful. It's actually a culture. It's the cultural shift that's been endorsed by the media and the government and it's the vast amount of propaganda and that is what's actually to blame here. The real truth is that the trans community want a safer place to live And then we need to eradicate the culture of incitement that has led to this event. Because it's not just the trans community's voices who are the only ones that really matter in this conversation. It is the women's voices as well. It is a safe environment for everybody. What does that really look like here in New Zealand? So what happened that day that allowed it to become a day of silencing a lone woman from the other side of the world rather than empowering women to have a conversation of different perspectives. It's sad, isn't it? Because we, you know, we saw in Wellington when we were there for the protest that that was uh, an incitement of, of fear. This is an incitement of anger. That was it was all about division. Both of these events, those events, were about division, and you saw it just so clearly on Saturday. The way that that mob it just turned into a mob that lost control, didn't it? It was just a frenzy. It was people that had been whipped up and empowered into a frenzy. 
and it was interesting so I think the comments about freedom of speech with the noise they were creating like blowing whistles in people's faces and all of that type of stuff I can understand the freedom of speech behind that but I also think that you create a real problem for yourself when you are empowering a group of people to make so much noise that it drowns someone else that you cannot hear them because what it does it's almost like a war cry you know it builds people up into this kind of frenzy where they think I can do anything and I don't need to listen to anybody because there's not one calm voice telling everyone okay all right let's let's keep things settled and I think that was a a really big difference with the Wellington protest man people went 22 days without without retaliation to the police 22 days of non-stop aggression by people trying to stir them up before people really reacted back when things got violent from the police coming in and trying to shut down the camp. And so I think the difference with these two scenarios that I see very glaringly is it only took this trans activist movement like 10 minutes before all of them cracked and they were rushing at people, grabbing people. That was a very short time frame and I do think that the noise and the agitation level had a large part to play in people feeling like they were now empowered to go and to grab people because the noise was on their side. You know, going on to all the different Twitter feeds and everything, as we went through looking at that day, you see it in Chanel's... Chanel spent a lot of time on Twitter on that day. Um in the morning at 8.02 a.m., he was promising that Posey Parker said Hobart, Australia was the worst place she'd ever been. I think we're going to one-up that one for you, he said. Um, a member of parliament, Golriz Garaman, the, um, the Greens MP, so ready to fight Nazis, she said, uh, together with a photograph holding a sign saying, Turfs don't speak for women. How is it that women don't speak for women? I don't get it. Well, it's because it's because of the language that they use. Now, I think these people are expert manipulators when it comes to language. By using a slur term such as TERF, and TERF means trans-exclusionary, radical feminist. So what they mean by trans-exclusionary is it's feminists that exclude biological men. So it's feminists that believe in biological women, which historically has been all feminists except now there's a whole new wave of feminism that they say if you are a feminist that only believes that biological women's spaces should be preserved for biological women, you are now an exclusionary radical rather than just a woman believing in women's rights. Because again, they've taken out the power of women. They're trying to say trans women are women. Now, I believe it's trans women are one thing and biological women are a totally different thing. And they need to be treated very differently. One of them is a biological man that's decided they want to be a woman and they're dressing up, they're doing different things, they're trying to be a woman, but you're never going to be a biological woman. And we need to be very upfront with people that you can't achieve a change in your actual biology. It's in your DNA. It's every part of a woman's being. You're not just going to achieve that by dress and a makeup and a surgery to try and put boobs on. That's not how biology works. And I think that rather than being honest with people, our society's at a point where everyone wants to be so caring and loving and open that now we're not even allowed to have that conversation in case someone's feelings get hurt. But the reality is we need to look past that. We need to go, okay, but there's real facts and data here that need to be talked about. But women somehow... Our rights don't matter if there's now a biological man that wants to take women's rights. Apparently that matters more now to society. And it's funny because there's been all these conversations about, you know, fight the patriarchy, smash the patriarchy. And yet in the last two years, the patriarchy is just laughing at us. 
Women don't stand a chance against biological men in sports. So these men that previously have been okay at sport but not great, they are now coming through taking women's scholarships and winning women's sports and getting the sponsorship for it. It's absolutely insane and we're not allowed to talk out about it because then you're a hateful bigot rather than someone that's using your common sense to go, hmm, there's something off with this situation. And this is one of the things that I find really weird about all of this is that this whole trans movement, from my perspective, um, being far removed from it, just naturally from who I am and my identity, is that a lot of it is about you know how we, how we use pronouns to describe trans people and that's kind of fair enough I suppose you know we, we've got to make sure that they're, they're being labeled as they want to be and so on and we just have to make some adjustments but then suddenly last week along with finding out about who Kelly J was I started to find out about these other terms like cis and turfs and they sound rather derogatory to me but isn't it a bit hypocritical to start labeling people without their knowledge I don't get it I mean, my, my pronouns are queen. <laughs> so if you could just refer to me as that from now on, that would be wonderful. Or president. I quite like the sound of either of those. So uh, this is the problem. You can't just make up your own pronouns. Like you actually can't really. It's if people don't actually see you as identifying as this thing, like I can't be called a cat because I'm just not one. And so I think that you've got a trans woman, which is fine because that's like a real identity. But when you've got, I think think now there's something like 72 different genders so far, but they're still growing. You can't have a real conversation with somebody if you've got to try and, and at any point they can change their gender and start saying, well, I'm currently now identifying as this. I'm currently now identifying as that. No one can actually have a genuine conversation in that kind of environment. And I think that's the issue. I think that what it does is it stops people being able to have a perspective because as soon as you might get one of those pronouns or some change in their pronoun wrong, they can then go, you're just full of hate and you're toxic and I'm I'm removing myself from this conversation. So it's a real sense of entitlement to what they deserve and how they should be treated versus how they treat the rest of the world. And victimhood too, eh? Ooh. Such a victim. Chanel Lau sitting there crying about, hey, he's just not sure he's going to be safe as a biological man in an environment full of biological women talking about women's rights. It's just going to be really scary for him. While he's surrounded by thousands of his, of his mates who also feel very at, at risk from being amongst themselves, I suppose. And his friends in the media. That's the other part. It's his friends in the media too. Because, my gosh, if a dandelion had landed on Chanel's nose that day, he could be crying about it on every single mainstream media television show that he likes. Yet no one's gone out of their way to try and see the perspective of the lady that was punched repeatedly and now has black eyes. This is the hypocrisy of it all. He's allowed to cry and weep about his rights, but then nobody actually cares when there's real world violence that's perpetuated by the same group of people towards a woman who's standing there wanting to hear what Kelly J. Keene actually had to say. You know, and another really good example of that, of course, was the Marama Davidson situation. She turned up um, in the morning. We know that she was standing on a on a, a traffic island at 10:40 a.m. when some of the man up guys drove by on their motorcycles. We have photographs, still photographs of that situation unfolding, which were obviously taken from a video. And um, she says that a motorcycle went past her and grazed her, and it left a black mark on her um, shirt, according to a witness. 
Um, the witness also said that they asked her if she was okay. She said she was fine. They asked her if she wanted to go to the hospital. She said, no, I don't need to do that. And we also have video and photographs of her at the protest, uh, joining in on the chanting, also in the rotunda after Kelly J had left, shouting, yelling, smiling. We can see very clearly in those videos that she was very happy at that time. We can also see the little black mark on the shirt. I know that much. Um, but what we cannot see is any sort of injury. And so she was supposedly injured at 10.40 a.m. Now, at 12.30, we had Hannah from Counterspin approach her along Princess Street as Marama was leaving. And I'm sure everybody's heard that recording and seen that recording, but it doesn't harm us just to listen to it one more time so that we can discuss this. Personally, I think this is all a distraction, but let's have a listen. Hey guys, Hannah here from Counterspin, former Green Party member. Oh, so, yeah, can you just tell me, what did you guys think of Posey Parker being violently assaulted and having what looked like tomato sauce tipped all over her? We are here to reject the violence and hate of transphobia. We are here to raise love for our trans people and community above hate. And I'm so proud of the mobilizing of people from across so many communities to stand in strong solidarity because trans people are terrific. So you trans condone that violence? You condone that trans violence against her? Tonga. Trans people are terrific. Trans people are true. Trans people are fantastic. And trans people are tired of being oppressed and discriminated. I am a prevention violence minister and I know who causes violence in the world. It is white cis men. That is white cis men. Okay, but so what is a woman? What is a woman? So trans are Tauma. What's a woman? Trans women are women. Chow Māori was never so boring as binary. I am Tangata Whenua and I say transphobia is not welcome here. What did you make of that, Chantelle? I mean, I find it very entertaining that later when she released her statement, she said she was injured and, and, you know, got her words wrong and she wasn't quite with it. That's a woman that is very passionate in her beliefs, that is very succinct in what she believes. And obviously, being grazed by a motorbike would be very scary. I've had a number of motorbike crashes. We grew up on the farm on motorbikes. You know, it's not a nice feeling. It is painful. But that's when you're kind of trapped under a motorbike and you're actually hurt. Get, that's very, very different to a small black mark on a shirt. And if you were then trying to claim that that graze gave you enough brain damage that you accidentally were incredibly racist, I'm not buying it. Succinctly racist as well. Yeah, succinctly racist and racist enough that even our PM has to come out being like, oh, but she was hit by a motorbike. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's ridiculous. How do these people get away with openly lying and gaslighting the public time and time and time and time again? And yet instead of our media caring and holding them accountable, they they just lie there and they're like, oh my gosh, that must have been so scary for you. She's lying to everybody and yet not one TV show says that. But I think it's because it's part of the narrative, isn't it? I mean, they're they're all on the same team. Oh, they're victims. They have to be victims. Even if they're actually part of the problem, they have to be victimised and therefore they need to be treasured and therefore we need to keep giving millions and millions and millions of taxpayer money to the media so they can stay alive and show you how terrible it was that Merrima Davidson had a black mark on her T-shirt while she was being racist towards a large group of society. After she'd also taken part in a violent mob silencing a, a woman... Um, who'd come from across the other side of the world 
as a visitor to our country to come and speak. Nobody can look at that footage of that mob encircling Kelly J, the tomato soup being thrown on her um, without saying, well, you know, we had our former prime minister get up in front of the UN last year and say that words are weapons. That's why I think that this is just a distraction. This is just Marama realizing that A, she'd been part of a violent mob, B, she had been racist to Hannah at Counterspin, and she probably walked down the rest of Princess Street and realized, hey, we're going to do something about this. Because very, very soon after that, there was a press release put out by the Green Party talking about how um, this had happened to Marama and the police were investigating. See how they do that? They straight away make it sound like she's been the victim of a crime. Um and, you know, by the end of the day, we were, we were all talking about it and they were trying to distract us from what had really happened, which was there was a mass violent mob overrunning a feminist on a bandstand. And rather than caring about if Kelly was actually okay, and see here, the Prime Minister can jump in to make sure, to make sure Marum is okay. Well, I mean, she very clearly looked from video that she was absolutely fine. But they jumped to her defence to make sure that she was protected, but nobody issued a statement concerned about Kelly, Ray, Kelly J. Keane. You have all these companies standing up saying, I support the protesters that were there to protect the trans community, but none of these companies are standing up saying, I, I support women having the right to safely speak publicly. Not one company cares about that. They're not putting up flags for women's rights. They're not saying they care about biological women. They're just saying the only thing that really matters is making sure that I can be on the right side of the woke spectrum, that they'll accept me, that I can then get ESG scores for my company to make more money. In fact, TV1 that day on March 25th in their reports, they one of the, the stories was all about the protester who threw the tomato juice all over Kelly J. And you see in the headline... Oh, humanising humanizing yeah, him. Very yeah. much humanising yeah. that, that person. The headline was Posey Parker Rally, Protester Explains Tomato Juice Throw. You see the use of language again in that? Use the use of the word throw? They didn't use the word attack. If that had been anybody, imagine if someone had tipped tomato soup over Jacinda Ardern. Jacinda Ardern assaulted in hate crime for her politi political woman attacked female <laughs> female discrimination misogyny is rife in New Zealand you can imagine the headlines but it's because it's a woman who's a five foot one mother of four that whose views they don't like it's therefore oh the tomato tomato soup throw and it's all how can we humanize this person that assaulted a woman in real time laughed about it bragged about it posted online incessantly about how we should all tomato juice everyone and bragged about how it stood for the blood that she wanted Kelly Jane to feel. It stood for the blood. That's what the tomato soup was standing for, according to the person's own posts. And this is what blows me away. The media have got no shred of integrity or honesty left in their bodies. Yeah, and you can see it in that interview when you, you look at that TV One News story and you can see the interviewer. He's smiling. He's egging her on. He's, he's creating a hero. And she's using violent imagery to explain a violent act. And nobody seems to, to even blink. Um, you know, there are other things that happened that day as well. And, and over the next few days, we started to see videos coming out. I remember sitting at home and being quite shocked by them, especially the one which um, Kelly J actually mentions herself about in a tweet on the 27th of March about 
a man punching a woman in the face. And I think Olivia mentioned that as one as well, didn't she? Olivia Pearson, yes, she did. Yep. So she meant, uh, mentioned the man punching the older woman. And when I was watching this play out on Twitter, what I found interesting about this um, was that you had people trying to say that that was from a totally different protest. They were trying to say that right-wing extremists made this up and it never actually happened. And actually, people were trying to say this immediately. They were trying to say these weren't real protesters, this never really happened, and yet we've got the Instagram account of the drag queen that kicked over the fence and then assaulted the old man. We've got video footage of this man tackling the older woman, trying to barge the older woman before he starts punching her. We've got footage of the drag queen kicking over the fence and then getting everyone to come and follow them. I mean, you've got the very identification of these people, and I think that that that's something that communities naturally, when something bad happens, they want to distance themselves from it and they want to say, that's not my community. But we do have these people's faces and details. We've got who they actually are. So we can now start to match up these people with the crimes that they actually did commit that day and start to see a real pattern of behaviour flowing out from this group of people. Um, and obviously not everyone there was violent. I can't imagine that Tova O'Brien from Today FM was up there, you know, punching grannies or anything like that. So there's people there that weren't violent. But the thing is, it's how do you come forward and still condone that kind of violence? How do you not come forward and say, I stand by trans rights, but I also stand by women to be able to speak safely? And that's the conversation we need to start having. How can these groups come and actually have a safe conversation together in an environment where no one's going to get a black eye? You know, and talking about patterns of behaviour and people coming forward, that's approximately the time that finally the right-wing spectrum of the New Zealand Parliament started to come and talk to us about this. It was as if that violence was like, okay, so now we can enter the conversation and we can actually say something and so that was when Brooke um, Van Velt, the deputy, ACT deputy leader, went on TV news and they had an interview with her. But of course, there was one big difference here, that when you have someone on that side of the debate coming on, you have to have balance. All that non-balance from the lead up and so on, where, where all the left-leaning MPs were unanimous in their derision of Kelly J. That all went out the window because now we have to have balance and they got Chloe Swarbrick to go along on the interview and this is the clip from that. Controversial anti-trans activist Kelly J. Keenminshaw, also known as Posey Parker, has fled New Zealand after chaotic scenes at her Auckland rally on Saturday. Thousands of New Zealanders turned up to showcase the values of inclusion, the values of love and standing up against the spreading of hatred. What we saw on Saturday, I think, was really disappointing, where we had people resorting to physical violence. We should be a peaceful society that allows people to hold a range of different views. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just not going to let that cringy revisionist history stand. If you look to the experience of thousands of Aucklanders, then you will see thousands of people who had an experience of a peaceful protest. As Chloe though says, you're highlighting the minority. Posey Parker says she genuinely feared for her life, and I don't think that's acceptable. We should be a peaceful country where people can say what they think. So those were the views of... Green MP Chloe Swarbrick and ACT Deputy Leader Brooke Van Velt and of course the presenter as well um, jumping in on Chloe's side. 
can I just say something about Chloe's line there? Thousands of people had a peaceful protest. Yeah, the people that were violent had a great time. The people that were assaulting others, they weren't scared for their lives. They had a wonderful day out in the sunshine, getting to silence the person that they didn't like, getting to shove people that they didn't like, getting to injure people that they didn't like. They weren't worried. They weren't scared for their lives. Of course, Chloe that though your, your people that were backing you had a wonderful day out in the sunshine because it was like a group of grown men coming along and kicking toddlers in the face and being like, well, I wasn't scared. No wonder you weren't scared. You were never under any sort of a threat because it was a bunch of women on the other side that just wanted to listen to somebody speak about something that none of our mainstream media will let them have a conversation about. And yet they're just gaslight and shut down and assaulted and that's absolutely fine in 2023. Am I too cynical to to note, though, that the timing of Brooke Van Velt coming on and, and talking about it at this point? Like, is the media realizing at that point that, oh, there was some violence, but we're going to have to explain it. So so let's get a patsy on to um, to talk about it and, and, and shout her down so that it still looks unanimous. Uh, am I being cynical? No, I don't think you're being cynical. I think you're being a realist at this point. Um, and, and people that have... People that notice patterns of behaviour within the media and, and can analyse situations, you can see the clear breakdown of the amount of bias that was shown in the lead up to Kelly being here over the period of her being assaulted and other people being assaulted at the protest and then the end of it. The clear bias is shown by the media of who they were happy to have on and speak, the voices that they were happy to give um, any kind of, I would say, kindness towards because they were not showing any kindness towards the people that were actually harmed during that event they just wanted to show kindness towards the ones that assaulted others and show why they needed to assault them it's okay it's okay to assault someone because um i wanted to because of xyz it's like oh great that'll hold up in a court <laughs> no problems babe you do you I, I also thought that Brooke did very well um, in that. I'd like to, to make a comment about that, that I thought she did very well under pressure from two different people uh, arguing her. And she argued that corner of freedom of speech very well there. Yeah, she's a very level-headed person who manages to put her perspective across in a very clear and concise way. And that's what we need more of uh, on, the, on the national stage of media here in New Zealand. So well done, Brooke. Yeah, and, and then, you know, you almost feel like at that point that they are losing control of it because one thing that isn't in that clip that I just played there was that, um, you know, Chloe started using crocodile tears through in that interview on two separate occasions. And it seems to me like it's like, okay, well, we, we look like we're losing this argument. It's pretty damned obvious that there was a lot of violence on display and where this is not revisionist history, like she was saying. Um, so she started doing that and playing on the emotions and the very next day, uh, no, sorry, it's actually on the same day. Tover O'Brien um, came out in the today FM with a story talking about how talking about all of this and saying she was an enormously proud to be part of such an enormous group of people standing up for what's right, which were human rights um, she believes in both women's rights and trans rights, but she, in the story, she accuses man up protesters of being violent. This is, you know, talking about what Marama was talking about, accusing them of being violent when all they did was drive past on motorbikes. She accuses, um, Kelly J of defending neo-Nazi violence. I did not see Kelly J defending 
the neo-Nazi violence on display that day, the people behaving like brown shirts. Uh, she says, and nothing I saw from the counter-protesters was even remotely akin to those examples. It's about respect and rights for everyone, and we showed over the weekend that more people care about that in Aotearoa than hate. Um, it's, it's trying to bring the soft sell to it, isn't it? Well, she talks about revisionist history. Respect and rights for who? For everyone, she said. But she's lying because she didn't have any respect for the rights of Kelly. So they, they, they always project what they're actually doing. They've done it consistently over the last three years in particular. They project exactly how they're actually acting. So they call everyone else racist when they're acting racist. They say that everyone else is aggressive when they're acting aggressive. They say that other people are controlling narratives when they're the one that are controlling it. They just keep doing this time and time and time again. And I'm, I am getting quite tired of it. And it's particularly this whole um, dangerous white man rhetoric. I mean, in New Zealand, the disproportionate amount of violence is actually committed by non-white men, if you look at it per capita. And so this is the problem. It's we're, we're lying to the public to suit a narrative that they want you to hear. And it's cruel and it's false. And I'm getting really tired of it. I'm getting tired of them saying everyone is a Nazi or a right-wing supremacist. I mean, there was one guy at the protest that turned up. And again, this was a very odd situation. There was a group of young men who actually looked kind of a similar age to the group that showed up in Melbourne, right? The, the ones that they said were Nazis and there was about 10 of them that did a weird salute. These guys were kind of a similar age to that. They showed up on their own in a wee car and someone has got photos of them pretending to do like a horrible salute standing outside of their car but in the middle of nowhere away from the protest. So it just seems weird. Why would you even it, – it's kind of like they were – preparing or acting or you know doing something weird before they went into the crowd and one of these guys had an Azov Battalion hat. Now for people that don't know the Azov Battalion is a Nazi far-right group from Ukraine so they're Nazis in Ukraine but the funny thing is over the last couple of years, whenever people have been trying to bring up any Nazi groups that are in Ukraine, you get told you're spreading misinformation and you're not allowed to talk about that and it's got nothing to do with the war, nothing to do with what Putin said about the war, even though this Azov Battalion group has got YouTube videos talking about how they've trained and prepared people to go in and to kill other people. So this Azov Battalion hat... They say they took a photo of this guy and they said, see, there's right wing um, extremists everywhere. They're Nazis. But the guy's brown. So this is this is in reference reference to there's a picture of this guy in the New Zealand Herald from Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, the 28th of March. And the story is all about trying to um, it's the headline is Rose, Posey Parker anti-trans rally attracted a range of far right groups, researchers say. And you can see in the photo there, they do look a lot like the people, the guys, the young guys that turned up at the Melbourne rally, aren't they? They turn up with face masks on um, and sunglasses, so you can't see who they are. The one guy with the neo-Nazi Azov battalion hat is um, of brown complexion. Uh, so I'm not quite sure how we put him in the white supremacist group. But, um, you know, it's the same old thing, isn't it? It's They go into this far-right activist um, the thing, and, and they start talking about researchers. Apparently they had researchers who specialize in extremist groups in New Zealand. Um, they start labeling everybody. I'm just, I'm just going to bet my bottom dollar, the last dollar on the table, that this group of researchers that are unnamed 
are probably the disinformation project because they're the only people that are so bad at their jobs that they wouldn't even be able to find the truth behind this protest. I think that there's another <laughs> there's another contender for this role though. Oh yeah, I think it could also it could also be Michael Wood. Oh, Michael Wood himself, Michael Wood, independent research. <laughs> Remember Wellington with his river of filth um, argument, he pulled out absolutely every possible scenario of of hate group that he could possibly find. He was calling us Islamophobes and anti-Semites. And I was just sitting there thinking, wow, we just, we just... We just solved the Middle East peace crisis on the front wall oh of gosh. Parliament. Do we you got, reckon he just Googled got, every single hate group or hate word that I can put into one speech and like open AI, just put in <laughs> every single name and he was like, perfect, perfect, perfect. He used perfect. all of them. It was like he had this Whoa. bag of, of insults and he just threw them all at the wall and saw what and to see what would stick. And they've done the same in this story in the New Zealand Herald. They're talking about Christian fundamentalists, neo-Nazis, right-wing populists. They even bring in voices of freedom, counterspin, new cons- the new conservative political party. It's like they just chuck everyone in. But this is the thing, because they are bigots, because they are bigots, everyone to them is the same, no matter how different each group is. But do you know the one group, and it's exactly the same as the parliament protest, they managed to say all these different groups, but they couldn't say people that were anti-mandate, you know? Like they, they really struggled to get that one point across, even though everyone's signs had it on. And they've done the same thing here. Do you know the one group that they keep not talking about? Who? Women. Ah. <laughs> they keep forgetting women. <laughs> it's like the Nazis and far right and this and fundamentalists. This. It's just women, babe. It was women that were coming to talk about women's rights. But because these researchers are so bloody terrible at their jobs, they can't even get the one fundamental aspect behind this movement actually correct. In the story, they even bizarrely named someone called Sam Brittenden. Um, and the, the quote is... I've never heard of that person. Should I Google they, it? They quote him as a member of the white nationalist group Action Zealandia, who they say, and this is just, this is where it's bizarre. They say he was never charged with making threats against Muslims in 2020. Okay. So what does that have to so, do with anything? I'm not quite sure what it has to do with anything. And also, if he was never charged of making threats against Muslims, wh- what does that make him guilty of? I don't get it. It's bizarre the way that the media are behaving towards this. And like we've just been pointing out, the scary part of this is that it is part of a pattern of behavior. And that's what this whole, what we're talking about today is all about, about that pattern of behavior, about tracing it all the way through and trying to figure out what is actually going on. And when you start looking at that, one of the scariest things that happens is you start to notice other things. And very sadly, on Tuesday, another story came about, came, came up on our feeds, didn't it? And that was the story about a 28-year-old woman named Audrey Hale, who identified as a man and went by the name of Aiden, took two rifles and a handgun and broke into a Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee, and killed three children and three adults. And you start to see these these patterns of behavior and how these, in, in this particular case, we're talking about trans people being incited to do awful things. Luckily, we didn't see any death here in New Zealand on Saturday. We're not uh, trying to say that. No, not at all. But this did happen in Nashville. 
But the, we need to talk about hate on both sides because the issue, and we've delved into this a lot um, under Operation People. Um, one of our co-workers, Phil, does what's called the Intel Report and he delves into the research that we're being presented here in New Zealand by people that are supposedly independent and what drives it, what are the um, ideologies behind it and why do we keep being presented a one-sided narrative and that is very true here in New Zealand and he breaks down the analysis of why we only ever hear far right but you never hear about the far left and unfortunately this shooter was very radically far left, they'd done a manifesto um, and they were targeting Christians, they went into a Christian school, they killed three children and three teachers, oh, three members of the faculty and, a, and it was a hate crime it's a terrorist hate crime if this had been a Muslim school and it was a Christian person that had gone in or anybody else it would be a terrorist hate crime but because it's against Christians they refuse to call it a hate crime and they treat it like it was some random isolated incident and I think that's the real problem here um, and Chanel Lal was on TV when he did his TV appearance he started talking about Christians and about Chris and about his hate, not not his hate towards Christians, but he started talking about topics completely irrelevant to the argument that we were actually discussing here in New Zealand. But he started bringing that up, and I'm not saying that he's inciting the killing of Christians. It's not at all what I'm saying. But I'm saying there is a very biased, one-sided argument that Christians are allowed to be hated, even though they're the most persecuted people group in the world. And yes, you can fact check me on that. It's absolutely true. Christians are allowed to be hated. But other groups that hate Christians are to be protected. And I think that this narrative has to stop because you've now seen the deaths of people and children internationally by a trans activist who would have been incited by media, by things that they absorb online, to really feel like it was okay to hate a group of people simply because of their beliefs. And that's the issue. You're treating people like they're all the same and bigotry is fine towards Christians, but it's not fine towards everybody else. And the more we go through this story, the more that just uh, it becomes apparent to me. Um, but talking about that, I find this one really interesting. You've got an interview here with Ollie London. Um, he's somebody who can give us a valuable insider's look at what's actually going on with that and how, how they're actually being manipulated. I'm going to speak now to Ollie London. He's a previous trans woman who has now gone through a gender transition back to his original gender of male. And I really appreciate the fact that he's taken the time to come and speak with me all the way from London. All right, everybody, you're listening to Reality Check Radio. This is the Chantal Baker Show. And today we're joined by a very special guest, Ollie London. Now, he is the author of the book Detransition, and he talks about his journey from transitioning into a woman to trying to transition back into a man last year in 2022. Ollie, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Chantal. And you were attacked recently when you commented on the Posey Parker um, saga here in New Zealand by a trans activist, Chanel Lal. How was that for you, seeing yourself be attacked, knowing the journey that you've been through? So I can take all these attacks from the trans activists, but I just think it's awful what they've done to women. I saw what happened to Kelly J. Keene and all of the other women. You know, I saw a 70-year-old woman being punched in the face by trans activists and it broke my heart. So I've been very vocal trying to raise awareness of what's going on. And I'm glad in the UK we've got a great channel, GB News, that has been covering it. We've got other channels around the world that have been really horrified because nobody realised that was going on in New Zealand, you know. We all have this image that New Zealand is a very tolerant place, beautiful place, you know, Lord of the Rings, 
was filmed there, Hobbiton's there, so it must be like a nice place. But it was really disheartening to see the way that these trans activists and also the media, the role the media played. So, you know, I could take the attack from Chenille. And it's funny because this Chenille character went on to incite the mob prior to the um, rally, but he actually was pretending to be a victim. He was saying he was so scared to go there. He was a victim. You know, these people are professional victims. They they do it for attention. And the fact that he's pretending to be a victim when he incited a mob to violently assault women and the women weren't even able to speak. They couldn't even utter a single word because of this. I just think it's appalling. And then there's now a picture of Chenille with the New Zealand's new woke prime minister, who seems worse than Jacinda. I mean, I thought you couldn't get worse than Jacinda. And unfortunately, you've got him. But he was pictured smiling and sticking his tongue out with the prime minister. And you think... The government are complicit, the liberal media are complicit in this violence against women and not a single person, Chenille or any of the other people that attacked those women have been charged. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And that is that is the problem here in New Zealand. We largely, and this is quite unknown on an international stage, but by and large, our media here is government subsidised. So the messaging that you're seeing coming through is the messaging that the government wants to come through. So calling Kelly a you know anti-trans activist, which is a lie, she's a women's rights activist, and she's saying how there needs to be a place where both groups are protected, but women do need to be protected and we need to look at that. That messaging of calling people TERFs and white supremacists, that's the messaging that the government does want the public to hear because they are the ones that are helping to fund that type of messaging that's coming through from our reporters here. So it is very biased, very one-sided, and it's been very difficult for New Zealand over the last, I would say, kind of six years, um, and even prior to that, ever since Jacinda took office, and now we're seeing it again with Chris, which is her predecessor, we're having the same issues in New Zealand, and we're all trying to stand up and say, why can we not have logical conversations anymore? I would really love to talk about what happened with you and your kind of um, entry into transitioning, what was that like, and what really fueled that because looking back um, and reading through your story it seems like there must have been a lot going on for you uh, kind of on the inside to go through the journey that you have can you tell us a bit about that yeah so there's a lot of factors that influence someone to develop gender dysphoria which is the official medical diagnosis for someone that's transgender um so there's so many factors and these days we have the added factor of social media which is now playing a huge role so for me, you know, I grew up in a slightly different time just before TikTok and before Instagram and stuff. But, um, you know, I was back there on the MySpace days when MySpace was out. And, you know, I'd always hated the way I looked. I was always told I was more feminine. I always thought I was more feminine. I used to get bullied at school for the way I looked. So I'd always wanted to change myself. And, you know, we go through these experiences when we're a teenager that we question our identity. And I was always unsure of who I was and who I was going to become. So you know, these questions played in my mind a lot of my life as a kid, I used to play with Barbie dolls and girls toys. Um, and then as an adult, I got to a stage where I was trying to find myself. I was changing myself so drastically and I still wasn't happy. So I thought maybe the answer is because as many people have been telling me, I was more like a woman. So maybe that's the answer. So then I transitioned and then that was a short term happiness. You know, I had facial feminization. I had hair extensions, wearing all the clothes and stuff. And uh, I came to a point where I was like, OK, I'm really unhappy now. Uh, maybe this wasn't the answer to my problems. You know, maybe I'm running from my problems and I should address them directly. So, you know, I came to that realisation. That was late last year. I've been detransitioning. I've wrote a book about the story. And also, you know, I've really been researching what's going on in the world because I've seen what just happened in New Zealand. I've seen what's going on in America with the healthcare system pushing kids to 
transition and from younger and younger ages. And it's really alarming. So I've done a lot of research for my book talking about these issues. And, you know, from my experience, I'm trying to speak up to help others. Um, And unfortunately, as we know, with a tolerant left, um, anyone that detransitions is attacked and vilified and discredited. So, you know, they're always coming at me and other detransitions that are speaking out. Um, Yet suddenly, if you're trans, they support you, they praise you. The moment you decide to go against that narrative, they viciously attack you. And we see the way they treat women for simply demanding women's only spaces. I mean, how crazy is the world we live in that women are being violently assaulted by men just for demanding their own safety. It's crazy. So that's what we live in. And, you know, I've got through that stage, um, struggling with my identity, and now I'm trying to, you know, warn and caution other people. There's been a lot of talk about the drugs that people are put on when they go to transition. Did you have similar issues with kind of a cocktail of um, drugs and medication that they wanted you to go on to aid your transitional process? So for me personally, I actually had a lot of surgery. So I had a lot of the facial feminization. So I had a lot of my bones shaved down, my facial structure changed to be more feminine, even had my hairline lowered. Um, so I was lucky I didn't get onto the hormones and puberty blockers. But what we're seeing now is a lot of teenagers being prescribed these. And we have in America, some states have now made it illegal. And there are trans activists that are on Instagram and TikTok promoting to these kids how they can get access to these drugs illegally. And, you know, when someone takes these hormones, it really changes the body. So if a teen takes these hormones, if they're a female, they start to their muscle mass starts to change. So they start to develop masculine features, their hair growth changes. But the real issue is there was a Canadian study recently um, by a doctor, um, Dr. Bradley, her name was, and she was the pioneer in Canada for gender research. She opened a clinic around 1975. So she's performed thousands of transitions on teens. And she has now done a study and actually said we were wrong to prescribe hormones to kids because it actually affects their bone growth. It affects the bone density. It can also cause heart issues. There was a study in Finland which found that um, teens that take um, long-term testosterone or estrogen have a higher risk of having heart palpitations, um, heart attacks, um, myocarditis and other health related issues. So, you know, the research is coming out there now. It's just sad to see how so many impressionable people are being pushed by schools and, you know, what they see online on TikTok. Um, So I was lucky I didn't take those hormones, but I've seen the devastating effects. I speak a lot to other detransitioners and they've really been through hell and they're never going to recover from the health consequences of having those harmful drugs put in their body. And and I I know one of the drugs that we prescribe here in New Zealand is Lupron, which has been through massive lawsuits over in the United States. And it's the same chemical that they actually use to chemically castrate sex offenders. And we're prescribing it to children as young as nine here in New Zealand. It's just insane. I mean, the fact that they're prescribing that and the fact that we're using it to castrate people because they are castrating children, they're sterilizing children. Now, a female to male transition, they cannot have children. They can never breastfeed. And, you know, when, when they're a teenager, they don't realize that these things are going to affect them in adult life. As a teenager, you just want there and then. You know, you want a quick fix solution. You don't even think about the future. You don't know about the future. So the fact that their doctors are doing this, castrating children, is literally like a horror movie. I mean, you know, we've seen so many detransitioners share their stories. They've had double mastectomies. It's horrifying that those 13, 15 year olds are doing this. And in some states in the US, they can actually do it without parental consent. So they can be coerced or groomed by a trans activist or an educator or a doctor that this is the right thing to do. And they are able to go and consent, even though kids can't consent. 
and be prescribed all these hormones and even have um, double mastectomies, which is really horrifying. It's absolutely insane. And there's been a lot of discussion and some studies done around the mental health of people that decide to transition and if they're more suicidal pre-transition or post-transition. Do you have any kind of personal insight into your mental health around wanting to transition and if it's been better beforehand or after? Like, How do you see that, that flow? Do you think that any of these studies are accurate in their comparisons? Absolutely. Again, the Finnish study I mentioned earlier, it was done at the Tampere University, which is one of two gender clinics in Finland. The research there found around, it was about 70 to 80% of um, teens that had gender dysphoria had other issues. So some of them had schizophrenia. It was a high link with autism, uh, bipolar disorder, and there was also a high link of children with depression and suicidal tendencies that were then being diagnosed with gender dysphoria. So it's almost like all of these other issues they're struggling with are completely overlooked when it comes to these gender clinics. They cast it aside and they say, it must be because you're in the wrong gender. That's the answer to all your problems. So there really is a mental health crisis. And the vast majority of these cases we see, the Canadian doctor, Dr. Bradley's study, um, that also said about 83% of boys, um, as they get into adulthood, they um, they stay with the gender they wanted. They were born as. So you know, a lot of these kids, they're not going to change their gender when they grow up. So the fact that we're offering these kids that have many mental health issues, we're offering them this quick temporary fix. It's not the solution to their problems. It's really, really harmful. And you know, I struggled as a kid with depression, um, body dysmorphia, gender dysphoria. So, you know, every single person that transitions is struggling with something or another. And far too often these doctors are ignoring all of that. We saw in the Missouri Gender Clinic in St. Louis was exposed by a whistleblower. We saw the same situation where um, kids had a lot of other mental health issues that were being ignored. The doctors didn't even acknowledge them. They fast track these kids onto a hormone uh, course, which, you know, once they leave the hospital, they don't check up on these kids. So when you see the data saying there's a very low detransition rate, it's because they don't check on these kids. They don't care about these kids at the moment they leave that hospital. In New Zealand, um, that same activist, Chanel Lal, actually put forward legislation that has now been adopted in New Zealand, and it's against, they say it's a gay conversion bill, but it actually is a gender conversion bill. So if your child comes forward and says, mummy, I think I'm a girl, if you don't honour what they're saying, if you don't accept what they're saying, if you say, no, you're Harry, you're a boy, you're just, it might be a phase, just work through it, you know, we'll get you some mental health help. If you try and do that, then you can actually go into jail. You can actually be jailed for that, for a parent that doesn't want to confirm their your, your child's so-called gender identity. I mean, that's absolutely crazy. I've been testifying in Washington State in the US and uh, they actually have similar bills. So I was testifying against the bill that was going to allow um, the state and social services foster care to take kids from their parents if they wouldn't affirm their gender. So, you know, we are starting to see what's being proposed in New Zealand already happening in certain US states. And it really is horrifying. I mean, who on earth is this Chanel character to demand that parents can't have access to their kids and that kids should be taken away? It's really disgraceful. And what's what's alarming is, you know, 10, 15 years ago, Everybody was fine with transgender people. Nobody had an issue and you know, their lives were much easier. The real transgender people now that have you know, been transgender their whole life, they're the ones really being affected now because these trans extremists like Chanel are making them look bad. They're causing them so many problems, you know. So I think what uh, that proposed legislation in New Zealand is extremely alarming. And, you know, I wonder if it's a test run, you know, maybe other liberal governments like Canada are looking at this and thinking if this passes, 
they're going to push it too because we're seeing a lot of kind of um, domino effects around the world when it comes to gender affirming care. So no shame on Chanel. He has absolutely zero compassion. And the fact that he's trying to be a victim on television, you know, his crocodile tears were so obvious. It's just, he's a disgrace. With your own transition, how did you find the support on social media and from the public in general? Because you were quite popular on social media. You have been for many years now. So how was that support for you for your transition? And then now that you've been coming out and doing your detransition, what has the change in rhetoric online been towards you? So when I actually transitioned, as with most uh, people that do transition, you get positive you know, affirmation, you get nice comments, you get people praising you, welcome to the trans community, this is who you're meant to be. So all of this appraisal, so, you know, even I kind of fell for that. And imagine an, an impressionable teen that gets bullied at school, they just want to fit in. Suddenly they decide they're trans and they get so many nice comments, they get so many followers, they see other influencers like Dylan Mulvaney who becomes hugely successful with lucrative brand deals and they want that too. So most kids just want to fit in, most kids want that positive validation. Um, so, you know, I kind of liked that, you know, I've always been lost with my identity. I was always unhappy. I used to get bullied. So when I had that positive validation, it felt good. But then I decided this really isn't for me. Um, let me share my story because maybe it will help someone else struggling. Um, I was met with so much abuse and I get so much abuse every day from these trans activists. Um, and it really is shocking. You know, I unfortunately I can take it. You know, it's a sad thing to say that somebody should be used to abuse, but I'm very used to it. I can take it, but you know, my heart goes out to those young detransitioners that get this daily abuse. I mean, there's a girl, Chloe Cole in the US, um, there's another one, Kayla Jane, there's so many coming out now, Kat Cattinson, and they get subjected to horrific attacks and intimidation. And we're seeing, you know, every time there's a, a detransition rally or a women's rights rally, we're seeing trans activists use violence to try and get their point across. And no, it's never going to work. So that's why we're seeing so many detransitioners scared to even speak out, scared to voice their opinion or talk about their struggles because they're just met with this torrent of abuse, which is designed to intimidate and put off these people. Just look at the New Zealand rally. That was designed to scare women into silence and into submission so that they never again voice their you know, a right. That's exactly what they're trying to do. And, you know, I will not back down and I will make sure that I help lift the voices of other detransitioners as well. Well, thank you so much for that, because as a woman, it was horrifying to see. And I was very thankful I wasn't there on Saturday because I don't feel like it would be the safe environment for any woman, especially women that aren't, you know, big and bulky and strong like a lot of these trans activists were that day. Can we talk very briefly before I know you have to go about Gays Against Groomers, which is a large organisation that has been started by many members of the LGBT community who are saying that enough is enough when it comes to what we're trying to push for children. And do you know much about Gays Against Groomers? I, I thought that you were part of it, but I'm just wanting to make sure that I'm right. Yeah, so I'm actually a, a proud ambassador for Gays Against Groomers. So I do a lot of things with them, campaigns, campaigns. Um, you know, we send people to do uh, legislative um, opposition. So people will testify before a Senate or Congress. Um, and they're absolutely a fantastic organisation. It's very refreshing because the vast majority of LGBT organisations are now being, they've been hijacked. They're pushing this radical agenda on children. They're pushing for women's rights to be taken away. So it's really refreshing to see a group of people there, gay, lesbian, there's also trans people included as well. They really care about children. They want to protect children. They want to protect women. So they are doing amazing, amazing things. I mean, they're really fearless and they've experienced so many kind of 
cancel kind of culture stuff. You know, they've had a lot of their merch stores taken down. Uh, they've they've been labelled just like Kelly J Keen on their Wikipedia as a far right organisation. When it's really that's not further from the truth. You know, this is a very uh, centre, um, not liberal, not right leaning. It's it's just to protect children. How is that right wing to protect children? But that's the world we live in. You know, these trans activists label anyone that disagrees with their worldview as far right fascist. You know, they like to use those uh, terminologies. Um, but Gays Against Groomers is absolutely fantastic. I'm an honour to be an ambassador. And it's, it's just nice to have an LGBT organisation that really cares when there are so many that are pushing this agenda on children. You know, they're sponsoring these uh, events or they're sponsored by these hospitals and they're sponsoring these drag shows in schools where, you know, they have sexual performances. They're talking about gender and sex education to kids. So it's really nice to be a part of an organisation that's actually fighting against that. And it's doing so much incredible work to help people across America and across the world. Absolutely. Just giving people a voice, isn't it? And it's something like 80% of children that are told they're transgender actually grow out of that by the time they turn 18. And often they are just part of the LG community. LGB community they're not actually trans and so pushing the puberty blockers for children actually completely destroys their future and that's something that amazing groups like Gays Against Groomer um, and amazing people such as yourself are really standing up for and fighting against. Ollie thank you so much for joining me I really appreciate taking your time um, and the effort that you've put in to come and meet with me very late at night across all the way across in London so thank you so much. Thank you very much Chantelle a pleasure thank you. RCR with Chantal Baker, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Reality Check Radio. You are listening to the Chantal Show, and today we are talking all about the Kelly J. Keen incident here in New Zealand. So, next up, this is the final piece to our show, and it's all about what really went on for Kelly and giving her her chance to have her say. Get her genuinely never felt so unsafe in my life, ever. And I think part of that is is how terrified I am for women and children in New Zealand and, and young men, you know, because it's, they're all being lied to on a mass scale. It's like, it's proper heartbreaking. These angry kids, whilst they're angry at us, they're not angry at their governments, they're not angry at global corporations who are taking over everything undemocratically are unelected powerful people stealing these kids futures and there is no uh, sustainable economic growth anywhere while the west do this russia and china grow ever stronger and we're all squabbling about this spaces and this is what happens. One of the one of the women got punched in the face, she got a black eye. She was about 70. I mean when a mob when a mob changes it's uh you know it works like a organism doesn't it? That once they start getting really angry it just builds. I'm gonna I'm gonna end the live stream because we're out of the mob and Talk to you all later. How did we get from Me Too only a couple of years ago to this situation, Chantel? The Me Too movement was driven by the media. 
And historically, when you look at any movement that gained traction, you know, in the, um, was it the 70s that they said the kids started protesting against the war? That again was driven by the media. It's never been that you've had these like young, ambitious people really come up with that much that was completely unique thought and then decided to create a movement based on it. A lot of it is the media telling people what to think, making it cool what to think, and then guiding them exactly where they want them to be. And that's what the media have done this entire time. The media did it with Me Too, and now they're completely able to flip that and say, oh, no, 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 it's no longer trust every woman, believe every woman, it's believe every man that now wants to be a woman because that's actually the intersectionality. They're more, they're more important because they're suffering from this and this, so therefore they trump you. I think we're being trained. You know, it's gaslighting. We watch something violent and quite horrible on Saturday and then we spent the week being told that it wasn't I'm, I'm reminded of something that happened during the Wellington protest when our mate Phil got eye gouged by a policeman up against the Portaloos and when it was reported that evening the newsreader stood in front of a video wall and you could see in the video Phil being eye gouged by a policeman and the presenter was talking about how the protesters had attacked the police. It was the most amazing example of gaslighting that I'd ever seen at the time. And now I've seen another one. This was complete gaslighting. And what is the purpose of gaslighting if it's not to just train us to not believe our own eyes and just believe what we're being told by the politicians, by the government, by the media? I think there's no better way to put it, Alistair. Because we know that that's exactly what it is. You know, you didn't see, and this is, and that you, people have loved to compare this particular event to the Wellington protest. And I laugh at that because you've got the Wellington protest and the multiple Wellington protests that did happen against the mandates. And you've got the example of in the Kelly J. Keene protest, these men kicked over the fences, um, went towards people, they started hurting people. In the Wellington protest, someone kicked over a fence and everyone put it back up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were like, oh, that's a bit far. <laughs> They're like, we may be <laughs> we may be very upset, but kicking over a fence is a whole another level that we're not prepared to go to. And then when the police would come into the Wellington Parliament protest, the, they, would act, they, would, they would actually send um, security from the Parliament protest, Parliament protesters around with the police to make sure that they could get anywhere they needed to go and were really well looked after. That was actually the truth. And yes, people did yell at them. Yes, people were very upset. But you did not see people running up to the police, trying to push over the fences and trying to go up near Parliament. They just didn't actually try to do that. They just tried to say, I'm going to stand on this grass and I'm going to tell you that I'm very upset and I'm going to do it peacefully for 22, 23 days. And could you imagine in those 23 days if anybody had gone up to one of those policemen and, and poured tomato juice all over his head, how the media would have uh, attacked that? You know, that, was, that would have been assault. Yet it took um, a number of days before anybody brought that up in the media here after the, the protest at Albert Park. Um, the first person to talk about it was the National Party police spokesman Mark Mitchell when he called for um, uh, a conviction. Make no mistake, can you imagine if any of us walked up to someone else and started pouring fluid? Um, 
over someone's head is what he said. We shouldn't accept it. And it was absolutely an assault. And the last thing that we've heard about this is that the perpetrator, um, her name is Eliana Rubashkin. She's fled to Sydney. Isn't that funny? Because Avi Yemeni, who's an independent reporter, couldn't get into the country. He couldn't get through customs over in Australia. He couldn't even get out of the country because they didn't even want him coming here because of his because of his viewpoints. Yet someone that actively assaulted somebody on national television with nas- with people watching from all around the country and millions of people saw it, they can get out. And then she was interviewed on national TV that night, remember, as well. So it wasn't as if we didn't know who she was and what she'd done. It was damned obvious. But there's another part to this, too, that there's a glimmer of hope when you start to see that there are journalists who are actually waking up to the gaslighting. And one of those was Rachel Smalley. Her headline on the Today FM um, website this week was, I feel a very lonely voice at the moment in mainstream media. She went on to say that I'm pro-trans rights, but I'm also pro-woman's rights. I believe one shouldn't come at the expense of the other, but I can't say that easily. If I do, the abuse rolls in and I'm called a bigot and a transphobic and a Nazi. Isn't that interesting? All of those words that we've just been talking, we've just spent the last hour or so talking about that that they use to build this narrative over the week. Those are the words that she's using to say that's what she gets called if she says anything about it in the newsroom. She goes on to say the nature of the protest, the silencing of women, intimidation tactics, abuse, who victimized who. Both sides of this debate should be given an equal voice. She also then went on to say last week we saw a remarkable bias in mainstream media reporting. I'm really, really happy to see that Rachel is starting to wake up. This is what we've been talking about for a while. This is what lots of us have been talking about. And uh, so I see a glimmer of hope in that. Yeah, that does give me hope as well, Alistair. And I think it's a real shame um, that Today FM has just recently been told that they are going to have their entire station pulled from the airways, which is a very dramatic thing to do considering the the huge amount of money that MediaWorks poured into this station and the fact that they did actually have some reporters that were saying something different to the mainstream media. I mean, they were very mainstream-based, but there were a few things that they came out and said that were a little bit different. Um, And notably, they were sent to some re-education training because I think they laughed about um, something to do with trans people's rights or something like that a few weeks ago and then they've challenged things like um, something that big that Pharmac has said here in New Zealand so their whole station is now being pulled from the air and I just can't help but think is it because of some of these people's views are slightly pushing back on the mainstream media? Is it just because media works don't have the money? And the timing of it seems awfully odd, right as there's been a huge amount go down with the Kelly J. Keene event that all of a sudden this entire station is, is pulled from the airways. Or is it who Rachel Smalley was quoting? In her story, <laughs> she was associating. She, she didn't really she, quote me. She, she put was up the ass- tweet that I that I had posted, but Kelly J Keen had reposted that tweet as well. Um, and I was just saying how I think the mainstream media are complicit um, in the violence towards the woman. I, th- I think that's what I was saying. I'm just trying to remember my actual tweet itself. I don't remember the whole thing, but it was um, it's still up on my Twitter, Chantal Baker, <laughs> because I couldn't get Chantal Baker in Z. Well, yeah, but let's let's be clear about this, Rachel Smalley, mainstream media quoted Chantel Baker in her story about feeling lonely in the mainstream media at the moment. She was reaching out to a member of the Disinformation Dozen. 
I mean, I love this word disinformation because honestly, I'm really struggling to find anything that I've been wrong about. <laughs> I'm like disinformation, but um, I've been awfully right, especially up up in the parliament protest as well. I mean, I was saying that I think that there'll be some harm that will call, come from people not being given a choice. We've been right about so many things. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, I just think they love to use these words in a way where they know they're the ones that are perpetuating mis and disinformation. And then they can just blame everything else and people will go along with it because unfortunately the public has very short memories. Um, but I do enjoy it. I think it's it's relatively entertaining. And I, I think we'll see maybe some people from Today FM will want to come forward and talk about their experience in the media and how much the media has changed recently. Because it seems like there's a real um, opportunity there with RCR growing bigger. Um, there's people that are helping fund RCR that want to see it grow. And so I think that we've got opportunity here to go, you don't need to have a station where everyone agrees, but you need to have a station that endorses freedom of speech and the ability for us to have these conversations. And I personally think that that would be a really powerful avenue. I would love to see more stations that have totally opposing perspectives where you're not just being shown one side every single day. So yeah, I would, I would quite enjoy that. I don't know if anyone from Today FM would like to come on and have a chat about their experience or about what they believe and we can have a bit of back and forth dialogue. But I think that kind of concept is really powerful and we need more of it. But why didn't the Greens MPs that were there at that protest against Kelly J. Keane, why didn't they try and stop the violence towards her or stop the violence towards any of the women? Why didn't any of the media, like they were sitting there and you see them on camera, they are laughing. They're giggling, they're smiling as they're seeing her getting attacked down beneath them. It's because they're not representatives of us anymore. They're activists. And that's one of the biggest problems with journalism as well. They don't see themselves as journalists providing both sides of the story anymore. They see themselves as activists. There was a there was a study done recently in the United States where it's something like three quarters of journalists in New Zealand and sorry, in the USA now believe that their their job is to present activist stories to to be activists not to be journalists this is a real massive problem well the one thing that i do i do get a little bit of um i i do feel confident though that we are going to come out of this that we just need to trust in democracy there is there are stories that come out there are people people join our side of this discussion every day and one of those is thomas cranmer the lawyer turned blogger who has been putting out some incredible work recently. And he wrote about this this week, talking about when ideo ideology turns violent, the political and media backing behind the Posey Parker mob. I mean, that's exactly what we've been talking about all today. And when I saw this story coming out, I just thought, wow, you know, we're not alone in the thoughts that we have. We've just spent the last hour, hour and a half going through how the, polit the politicians and the media turned this um this mob turned this this cause into a mob and turned that mob into a violent mob and um he he talks through it he talks through about how there's there's uh, all the different people that were involved from grant robertson and kerry allen to the green party members who used their mailing lists their political mailing lists to to get people to come along organizations like auckland pride and gender gender minorities aotearoa you know these are these are organizations which do great work don't tell don't don't uh, don't think that i'm i'm necessarily taking a swipe at them they do great work but they are also funded by the taxpayers dollars 
And so why are they part of this? Why are they part of the incitement? Why is our government funding far-left extremism? And then there's the police. Where were the police during all of this? Why did they take so long to, to get involved? And we all know that they go around with these, these, uh, these LGBTQ um, stickers all over their cars and everything. Are they taking sides? And I look at this story and he finishes it in such a great way. He says, this Labour government may not be able to organise housing or education or health or much else, but it can organise an unruly mob within days if it's necessary to defend its radical gender ideology and prevent people from gathering in the corner of a small Auckland park to discuss women's issues. And that may be is the most shocking element to this outrage. It was in all respects a politically sanctioned and organised mob. Free speech was silenced and a speaker ejected from the country by political violence in New Zealand. It's, they're extremely powerful words and it, it gives me great courage to see them written, someone speaking out loud, especially a lawyer. Absolutely. He's a very powerful writer, Thomas Cranmer, and he's delved into a lot of fantastic topics in OIA. So I really encourage people to subscribe to his Substack as well. I think his Substack is just Thomas Cranmer um, at Substack. So I would really encourage you to go and have a look at that or follow him on Twitter as well, because he just has a really beautiful insight and a perspective that we're not seeing enough of here in New Zealand. So I encourage you to go and do that. Uh, so what is really going on, Alistair? Do you think that this is just, do you think the media jumping on board this story about Kelly J. Keane was just a random reaction to her being here? Or do you think they were using this as a tool to try and distract people from something else that was really important that was happening simultaneously here in New Zealand? I think it has to be, because I don't see any any other reason for it i mean why would you create such division it's to me you can you can see the fingerprints of it being cultivated all the way through it so then what's the political attraction to this about dividing people and the only thing that i can think of is that they're trying to distract us from something and i find it really really interesting that the guion espiner guion espiner is a uh, is an investigative feature journalist and he came out with a piece on Saturday on the same day as this protest all about lobbyists and their part in New Zealand politics it's about it's a story about corruption at the highest levels of our government and it is what caused Stuart Nash to have to be um, retired from his position this week the media spent a lot of time trying to not say the word corruption, but that's what it is. It's a story about how um, companies are buying influence in New Zealand legislation. It's a story about how there's a revolving door between government and lobbying firms. And it's what caused Stuart Nash to step down for his part in the corruption. And um, I can't help but think that they knew that this story was coming because when somebody, when just so you know, when an investigative journalist works on something like this, it takes months. It could have even taken years. I don't know, but at least months. And he would have been talking to the government. He would have been sending questions and emails and so on. And they would have, and they would have been asking him, when are you going to put it out? And he would have told them. And to me, it just stinks that, this was the reason that this happened last weekend and that 
this happened to our country, this shameful, sad day. It could be something else. I don't know. This is my guess. When I read that story about the lobbying here in New Zealand, there's a number of things that really concern me. And one of them is this. The public official cooling off period before entering lobbying in Canada is five years, Spain it's two years, Germany and Australia it's 18 months, and New Zealand there's no time. They don't have to have any cooling off period. So they can go straight from being a public official into being a lobbyist on behalf of a party immediately. And so you just think about the levels of corruption that can be sustained throughout that and the conversations that can have crossover without that. And you start to think, is our legislation genuine or is it just being pushed by major corporations that have a huge financial interest in particular pieces of legislation? Now, that is a nonpartisan issue. People on either side of the political spectrum would be united with that conversation. They would come and they would say, this is actually a real problem. Do we want these multifaceted layers of potential corruption in our political system? Probably not. How do we go about addressing it? Now, if the media were to tackle that conversation head on, if that was to be talked about and that was to be broken down to the public and layman's terms, then you would see a uni- unification of partisan of bipartisan views. And instead, we're not seeing that at all because the media are never discussing it. Now, when we say media, obviously, it's just specific people because RNZ did this investigation, which I think is a fantastic investigation. They've done a very good job. But as you mentioned, why is it that they don't start to do a whole breakdown of this? I mean, they can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on taxpayer money breaking down what they perceive as the leaders of one one protest, but they can't do a huge breakdown of the levels of detail or corruption within the lobbying system. Yeah. Seems a bit weird. Yeah. It's, I mean, I we all grew up thinking that we were living in a, a, a country that didn't have corruption. Um, I remember seeing it for the first time close up when I was overseas, when I lived in Southeast Asia and literally being asked for bribes from government officials. And I remember talking about it at the time saying, I don't know how to deal with this because we don't have corruption in New Zealand. Um, it's pretty obvious that there is corruption here now. And I just wonder whether all of what we've gone through over the last few days, this last week, has actually been to try and cover it all up. Well, the interesting thing is that this story does also centre around specific individuals within the left side of parliament that became lobbyists and then went back to politics and back to lobbying. So you've got Andrew Curtin, who is the chief of staff for Prime Minister Chris Hipkins. He came into the role directly from the trans-Tasman lobbying firm Enacta. Before that, he was the general secretary of the Labour Party and a staffer for former PM Helen Clark. So... Party secretary, lobbyist, chief of staff, it's concerning. Then you've got Gordon John Thompson. He was the press secretary for former Prime Minister Helen Clark and for Labour leader Phil Goff before setting up his own lobbying firm. He then returned to um, to act as the interim chief of staff for Jacinda Ardern for four months before she was elected. Then he went straight back to lobbying again. So press secretary, lobbying, chief of staff, lobbyist. I mean, it makes you question how much of Labour's legislation during that time period between Helen Clark and Jacinda Ardern was pushed forward by members that were by members that were working with lobbyists. So we've broken it down, haven't we, Chantel? We've broken down the whole thing. We've had a look through it. We've relived the week. I'll be glad to put it behind me. What about you? 
<laughs> Mate, me too. I feel like we've broken down more in this conversation than I've ever really thought about women's rights here in New Zealand because it isn't something that we've had to be concerned about before. We just had women's rights because women fought for them very heavily back with Kate Shepard. We had the women's first right to vote. And this is what concerns me about all of this. And these are my final notes on this entire situation. I feel like at the moment, our government, Labour, Greens, Maori Party, they can cheer, and, and the media, can cherry pick outrage. They can cherry pick outrage depending on what suits them. Racism is bad, unless it's against the white man, in which case it's absolutely fine and we'd never make you lose your job. Sexism is bad, unless of course it's a biological man that wants to change sex, in which case he has to do whatever he wants. Violence is bad, unless it's towards people that we don't like this week, in which case go ahead and go for it and the media is going to cover for you. Hate crimes are terrible, unless of course it's towards Christians, in which case we're not really going to mention it's a hate crime because we don't like that group of people. They can cherry pick whatever they want you to believe and the public will suck it down hook, line and sinker because they're not taught to think for themselves and to think what else is going on here. This lobbying situation is a prime example of that. If this was a whole lot of national lobbyists, you can guarantee that this story would be front page on every paper. But because it's a lot of left-leaning politicians, they bury it. It's not really talked about. And I just want to encourage people to think a little bit deeper. Is your hatred coming from a place of true outrage or is it, are, are you being manipulated? Do you really believe in the fundamental rights for everybody and in which case, are you actually going to back up what you believe and be honest about that on the main stage? All right, everyone, that's the end of the Chantelle show here on Reality Check Radio. I want to give a big thank you to Liz, our hardworking researcher, and to Alistair, my wonderful producer, and to every single person at home that's tuned in to listen, hear our thoughts and our takes on women's rights here in New Zealand. And also a big thank you to the huge amount of work that RNZ put into their story about lobbyists here in New Zealand. And I encourage every single one of you to go and read that article, become educated on what that means for the future future of our parliament. Have a really wonderful Friday afternoon and enjoy your weekend. Go to the pub, enjoy yourself, relax a little bit and don't worry too much about women's rights over the weekend. We'll come back at fresh on Monday. Committed to fair debate and honest information, the Reality Check has arrived. RCR, Reality Check Radio.